Thank you, guys. So, in a couple of weeks, you'll have a full-blown youth team up there. Excited for that. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. How many of you know the Queen of England referred to as Bloody Mary? What's your real name? What's your last name? Mary what? Mary Tudor. Okay. She became Queen of England. When she became Queen of England, she worked to bring England back to the Roman Catholic Church. One of her first acts was to arrest certain bishops that were leading the Reformation. The Protestant Reformation. She wanted to arrest Bishop Ridley, Bishop Latimer, and Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. She arrested them because Ridley nor Latimer could accept the Roman Catholic Mass as a sacrifice of Christ. Latimer told the commissioners, quote, Christ made one oblation and sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, and that a perfect sacrifice neither needed nor there to be nor can there be any other propitiatory sacrifice. Meaning, there is one sacrifice that is sufficient. It is not relived every Sunday in Catholic Mass. See, these opinions were deeply offensive to the Roman Catholic theologians at the time. So they sent them to get to be burned. These two men, when stood at the stake, the stake is a piece of wood that they would tie them against before they would burn them. Dr. Ridley, when he stood at the stake with Dr. Ridley and fire was put into the pile, he raised his eyes benignly towards heaven and said, God is faithful, who does not suffer us to be tempted above our strength. Also at the stake, Vladimir immortalized himself by exhorting his fellow victim, Ridley, his, his counterpart that was being burned, with these words, quote, We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Saying that their death will mean something to the gospel, to the proclamation of the gospel, to the expansion of the gospel. His body was forcefully penetrated by the fire, and the blood flowed abundantly from the heart, as if to verify his constant desire that his heart's blood might be shed in defense of the gospel. This is an excerpt from Fox's uh, Book of Martyrs. See, Bishop, Bishop Lattimore, he died for standing firm on the truth of Scripture. He did not deny his beliefs in front of the council that was accusing him. This was many of one of the reformers who died during this time period. Bloody Mary said to have killed over 200 that went against the Catholic Church. See, martyrdom is, has occurred throughout church history. It's not something new. In fact, tradition has it that all of the apostles died as martyrs. One of these apostles was Peter. Church tradition has it that at his death, he asked to be hanged 
on the cross, upside down, because he was not worthy of being hanged like his Savior at the death of Nero. See, you would think that Peter, with that type of courage, would at no point in his life ever have denied our Savior. Well, that's not the case. And today's passage is going to serve as an encouragement to us of how gracious is our Lord, how loving is our God, and how we should depend on Him for everything to live this Christian life. Let's read tonight's passage. Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in a courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were with who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster cried. Quote, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows, You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Praise God for his word tonight. Remember, we still find ourselves on Thursday of the Passover week. This is the last event that we will discuss that happens on Thursday of the Passover week. What is the first event that we discuss? The preparation of the Passover. The second, the conversation that Jesus predicts that one of his disciples will betray him. The third, we saw how the Lord's Lord's Supper is instituted. Then we saw... Peter's denial is predicted. We'll go back to that later today. Then we saw Jesus' fervent prayers in Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then we see how Jesus betrayed, is betrayed by Judas with a kiss. Last Sunday, we saw with Brandon, Jesus arrest, is arrested and is before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And today we will look at the final event that culminates Thursday of the Passover week. Peter denies Christ. Specifically, we'll be looking at Peter's three denials and his repentance. Peter's three denials and his repentance. Today's theme, main idea that I want you to have in your mind as we study God's Word is, believers should keep watch and guard themselves against all sins and praise God for His grace when we fall. Believers should keep watch and guard themselves against all sins and praise God for His grace when we fall, when we fail. So, we're going to talk about His first denial, His second denial, the third denial, and then Peter's repentance in verse 75. So let's begin today's lesson with Peter's first denial in verse 69. The Word of God says, Now Peter was sitting outside in a courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus, the Galilean. The beauty of the denial of Peter is that it's found in all four of the Gospels. 
all these different accounts give us gives us a complete story of exactly what happened when Peter denies Christ. So according to John, this first denial happens before Jesus appears before the Sanhedrin. So Peter denies him first, and then Brandon's lesson comes in. And then he is before the Jewish Sanhedrin. So why did Peter want to go to the courtyard? We see that he's in the courtyard. Why? Well, Luke tells us, chapter 22, verse 54 to 55, having arrested him, meaning Jesus, they led him, Jesus, away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. Mark also tells us that Peter was following Jesus to see what would happen to him and to keep warm. So Peter is in the courtyard because there's a fire and it's cold and he wants to keep warm. He also wants to see what's going to happen to his Savior. See, the next question you might ask is, ask is, who was this servant girl and why did she approach Peter? Like all of a sudden, out of the blue. No. The Bible tells us why this happened. Did she simply approach Peter out of nowhere? No, she didn't. Mark tells us that she was a slave girl to the high priest. Mark 14, 66-67. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But she also had a job. John tells us that the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also you you not also you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. So this slave girl is the one who's at the door. And what happens? She is the one that, in Luke's account, I didn't put it here, but in Luke's account, he mentions that there's a disciple that is friends with the high priest, and he knows that that disciple's there, and that disciple goes to the servant girl and tells her, hey, let Peter come inside the, the house. So that's the connection between the Jewish girl and Peter, the slave, the Jewish slave and Peter. Now, she asked him if he too was with Jesus, the Galilean. Could this have been out of curiosity or might have been out of accusation? Was she trying to get Peter in trouble? D.R. Carson states, Using Galilean is the kind of derogatory remark one might expect from a Jerusalemite of Judea convinced of her geographical and cultural superiority. MacArthur states, to refer to someone as a Galilean was to suggest he was backward and unprogressive. So in this case, yes, it might have been more of a to accuse him and wanting to look down upon him as he was a disciple of Jesus and a Galilean. So let's, let's look at Peter's response. Verse 70. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know that what you are talking about. He denied Christ in front of the girl and in front of the crowd that was formed. Mark says that Peter said, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went out to the porch. Luke says that Peter says, Woman, I do not know him. 
John says that Peter said, I am not. In all the Gospels, Jesus denies Christ this one time, this first time. The question is, why does he deny him? Or what does he deny about Christ? He denies association with Christ. He did not want to be associated with Christ at that moment. John Calvin writes, Terrified by a woman's voice, immediately denies his master. And yet, but lately, he thought himself a valiant soldier even to death. What would cause him to go for the sword to the ear to be, to deny him because of an accusation of a slave girl? Think about it. What would make somebody want to disassociate themselves with something? Well, maybe the person has a bad reputation, and you clearly don't want to be associated with that person. Think about what happens in our culture. When these big corporations use athletes for, as sponsors to, hey, wear my gear so everyone can see it so that they can buy it. And this athlete does something atrocious or says something that is very unpopular. What is the first thing the big corporation does? They write a statement. They disassociate with them in their comments. And what else do they do? They probably take the sponsorship away because it's going to affect their sales, right? So they want to disassociate themselves with the negative publicity. Another reason for disassociation in day-to-day life is fear. In this case, Peter's case, fear of losing his family members. Peter was married. Fear of losing a job. What's going to happen to me after after this happens? Am I going to go back to being a fisher? Are people going to remember me as... The follower of Christ, fear of rejection, but ultimately fear of imprisonment, fear of torture, fear of execution. Now, as we've learned about Peter, sorry, learned and studied the book of Matthew, and we've encountered all these moments and scenarios, what do all the teachers tell you all the time? Before we go judging Peter or the Pharisees, and as Nate prayed, let us look to our own heart first. To see what the Spirit through His Word is revealing to us. What are ways we can deny Jesus in front of others? Well, directly, if if you ever ask, do you believe in Christ? Are you a Christian? You're like, I don't know. That's one way, right? The direct way. Another way is indirectly. You can deny Jesus. How? Well, when you're afraid of sharing the gospel is a way to deny Christ. What about when you're in a classroom and the teacher or any authority, authority figure in your co-ops asks you about your beliefs on certain social issues? They ask you. You're not trying to spark debate here. You know, we're, we're, we're meant to, we're called to be peace, peaceable. But they're asking you, what do you believe? And it's a perfect opportunity to shine the light of God's truth, but you stay quiet, you lie, because you don't want to feel rejected amongst your peers. Or maybe they don't ask you, what are your opinions, but... You see a debate going on, you see a discussion, and there's a perfect moment that you can interject and speak God's truth, and you decide to stay quiet. In Peter's case, 
We don't know the exact reason, but we can speculate. Pick any of them we just mentioned. Fear, persecutions, torture, loss of jobs, etc. So that was Peter's first denial. Now let's move on to Peter's second denial in verse 71. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter moved from the courtyard to the gateway of the high priest's house. Well, why would he do that? Well, maybe there was too much light in the fire where he was keeping warm and he wanted to go to somewhere that was darker so he couldn't be seen so none of these, any other person would come and recognize him. Here in Matthew's account, Matthew says it was another slave girl that approached him, but Mark, he recalls it's the same girl who, man, who, who managed the doorpost, Mark 14, 69. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. Luke, however, mentions it was a man who asked him. A little later, another saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I am not. John doesn't tell us if it's man or woman. He simply states as a small crowd asked him. John 18, verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Does this mean the Bible contradicts itself? No, never. It actually makes the gospel accounts more reliable. What do I mean by that? Have you ever seen the movie? Maybe, maybe not PG-13, but Vantage Point? Pretty old. Vantage, Boy, Vantage Point is a story of an attempted assassination to the American president. And the movie, literally, the beginning, it, it's kind of like weird because it, I've never seen a movie like that before. It, it's, it, it tells a story from eight different points of view. So the movie starts, and this and the movie is narrated, and all of a sudden it starts again from the beginning, and you're like, okay. And then it starts again from the beginning, and you're like, what? And then one more time, you're like, okay, this has to stop. The movie has to keep on going. But what it's trying to say is that they all saw the same event, but their minds interpreted it differently. It demonstrates that the different people see things through different lenses, but they all agree on the main idea. The main idea stays the same. Different details are caught from different people. Now, if all the Gospels were identical, then we should worry about it. Because then we would just say one copied off the other, and they copied off the other, they got together, and that's more unreliable. So just because we don't know who's, who actually asked Peter in the second time when he denies it, the point is not to get caught up in that. The point is to hear Peter's response, which is in verse 72. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Peter denies the good Lord for the second time in front of everyone publicly. So, not only does he deny him, but he denies him in a more sinful way. With an oath. Basically, it means this. As God is my witness, I do not know him. God is my witness. He knows that I'm saying the truth. And he's saying this oath and just digging that hole more and more. He's lying and using God to lie. 
What does Jesus say about these types of oaths? He was there, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 33 to 35. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. In all the other accounts, Peter simply denies Jesus, saying, I do not know him. But here in Matthew, he denies him, but with the oath. Again, he is not just simply denying him. He's lying, he's denying, and then he's involving God as his witness. And this is what sin does. John Calvin states, that is what unrepentant sin does. It gets worse and worse until you ask God for forgiveness and for strength to persevere. Once you start in that sin and you start lying and then there's another lie and there's another lie and it just, it keeps on going because you don't want to be exposed of the real reality of why you're sitting that way. This includes a second denial. Now we're going to move to the third. Peter's third denial, verse 73. A little later, by the by, a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Luke says this about an hour later. This, a little later, is about an hour. In this third encounter, some bystanders, standers, those seeing all these interactions between Peter and the servant girls, are the ones that come and say, Surely you too, you, you're one of them. One of them. What are they implying? It's a negative connotation. You're associating with Jesus, who's being arrested, with his disciples, who are Galileans. They even said it. You must be because you sound like him. Mark and Luke recount the same event as Matthew did, except instead of saying you talk like him, they call him a Galilean. Mark 14, 70, 71 or says, And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them. You are a Galilean too. Luke 22, 59 says, After about an hour he had passed, had passed another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man was also with them, for he is a Galilean too. Again, Remember, the word Galilean is used negatively, okay? They're not progressive. They're from the north. They're not as cultured as those from Judea and Jerusalem. And to prove that they were being accusatory and not inquisitive, John mentions another detail that the others don't. In John chapter 18, verse 26, one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? See, the fact that John mentions that this slave is inquiring here is not just to really know what's going on. He wants Peter to get in trouble because Peter cut off the ear of, of the relative, Malchus. So Peter's getting cornered. He's worried he might suffer the same fate that his Savior had suffered thus far, which was what? He was beaten, he was slapped, and he was sped on. I don't want any of that. So what does he do? In verse 74 he says, Then then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed.
only Matthew and Mark mentioned that he cursed and began to swear? For those who were asking. They do, Matthew does this to show the sin's, sin's progression. First is a denial. Then it's a denial with God is watching, I'm telling the truth. And now he's adding curses to his denial. So what does the cursing and the swear mean? Well, it basically means like this. I promise I don't know that guy as God is my witness. In fact, may God kill me now if I'm not telling the truth. May God curse me now if I'm not telling the truth. See, Peter keeps on digging his hole. And it, it's, it gets deeper and deeper each time. And it's, it's amazing to understand and to think of this because who is Peter? What did Peter do? Peter walked on water with Christ. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He saw Jesus' full glory in his transfiguration. Not full glory, partial glory. He was Jesus' closest friend. That very night, Jesus washed his feet. He saw the miracles, the wonders. He saw the authority in which he spoke. And yet, guess what? His sins of arrogance, thinking that he was spiritually mature, that he would never commit such atrocities as denying Jesus, blinded him to the point where he actually did what he was supposed to not do. He found himself, he was very mature. He was very spiritually strong. We're going to flesh this out in a second. So what happens after this? A rooster crows. So this concludes all of all three of Peter's denials. Now we're going to move on to the final point of the night, which we'll spend the rest of the time at on is on Peter's repentance. Verse 75. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a he said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What was, what was this that Jesus, that Peter was recalling? Back in Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35. I believe Emilio taught on this. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. That after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, this is what Peter said. Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Typical Peter. Jesus telling him this is what's going to happen. How dare he question the Son of God? But he does because he's Peter. And he says, and Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. <laughs> Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, 
I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. It's funny, we can judge Peter, we can laugh at this, but how much, how, how many times is that us telling our parents, I got this mom, I got this dad, that's not going to happen to me. No, no, you don't, you know, you, you, you trained me well, mom, you trained me well, dad. It's not going to happen, don't worry about that, you don't need to put those limits over me, you don't need to tell me that, I got this. That's exactly how we sound. We sound like Peter. We don't want to think that. But I pray that as we read this, you examine your heart and see we're not that far away from Peter's actions. So these were, this is what Peter did. And this is what Matthew tells us. But look what Luke tells us happened. Luke 22, 60-61. See, Matthew says, he heard the rooster, he remembered, and he left crying, crying bitterly. But Luke says, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had told him before a rooster crows, today you will deny me three times, and he went out and wept bitterly. The Lord looked at Peter. Think for a second of what that gaze might have looked like. What, 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 what type of eyes is Christ looking at you, and how are you looking back at Christ after denying him three times? Let me ask you a question. How much shame do you think Peter felt when he saw the Lord and he saw him and he remembered and he wept bitterly? I want to tell you something, guys. We need to be encouraged and we need to feel that way when we sin against a holy God because he's always watching. He's always watching. You might think, oh man, I would have felt so bad if Jesus looks at me and I'm sinning. And I'm. He looks at us all the time when we're doing all types of sins. But the sins of the mind, our thoughts, our jealousy, our coveting, our lustful thinking. He sees it all. When we act upon our mind, our thoughts, our revenge, our slander. All of that, he sees it. And we as Christians should be encouraged and should, and should see our sin the way Peter saw his sin in that moment to weep bitterly because we've offended a holy God. It might not happen all the time. It might only happen with grave sins. But if you can get your, your, yourself to, to the point where you stop thinking or we stop thinking so highly of ourselves, that we are good people that sometimes sin. <laughs> no. We are bad people who constantly sin. That's why we need a Savior. Stop thinking your Christian life is like that. Because we become Pharisees. Oh, I'm, I don't say bad words. I don't, I don't do those things. I don't, I don't watch things that I'm not supposed to. I obey my parents all the time. And then you think you're better. That, that itself is a sin. 
but thank God for what? His amazing grace. Thank God that God forgives us all the time. Always. Always. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All your sins have been paid. They all have been paid for. Like I said last time, are we going to abuse of God's grace? Paul says, may we never be. Do you think the Lord looked at him with rage or disgust? No, it's not his nature. He looked on him with the only eyes that he had, loving eyes. How did Peter feel after the Lord looked at him? Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that he wept, but only Matthew says that he wept bitterly. The Greek for bitterly is in a manner expressing great anguish, resentfulness, or pain. Do we feel great anguish, resentfulness, and pain when we sin against our Holy Father? Why? Why did he whip? Why did he cry bitterly? Well, he could have remembered Jesus' words and was convicted by them. He now understood why his rabbi told him to keep watch in the Garden of Gethsemane. Keep watch. Peter, stay awake. Pray because difficult times are coming. Nah, Jesus, I will never deny you. Please, you come on. That pride, that arrogance. He was like, I was, I was so sinful. How can I have done that? And he's crying. I think most importantly, he finally recognized his sin of self-confidence and pride. See, how does, how does Peter usually respond to Jesus when Jesus tells him so? Remember in Matthew 16, where Jesus is saying, that, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm, I'm going to suffer many things, and the chief priests and the elders, and, they're gonna, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised up on the third day. What does Peter say? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it. Lord, this shall never happen to you. Who are we to tell God what he's going to do or not going to do? You know what Peter should have done? Lord, help me. Give me the strength that I need as your follower to accept this. That I may glorify you while this is happening. That is what Peter should have said. That is, we, that is what we should do. But no, no, God, that's not going to happen. And what did he do when he said he was going to deny him three times? Instead of saying, oh, Lord, please, if, if there's a way that this might not happen. Lord, I, I trust in you and I trust in your plan. And I know that you do everything with a purpose. And I'm sorry that I'm going to deny you three times. Because I believe in your words is what he should have said. But he doesn't. What does he say? Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. What does the Bible say to people who suffer with the sin of trusting in themselves and pride for living the Christian life? Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. 
Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? 1 Corinthians 10:12. Therefore, let him, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. MacArthur states, he had learned never to distrust Jesus' words again. It finally dawned on him that what the Lord said would happen, would happen. We know that Peter repented. We know that he would never deny his Savior again. But you know what? Thank God for this, this, this revelation in Scripture that Christians sin. And they can sin to the point of denying Christ. And God still forgives and still will use that for his glory. If Peter sinned in this way, please, who are we to think that we will never sin in a certain way like Peter did? God matures those that go through these trials and they become better instruments for his kingdom. How do I know this? Look at Peter's life after. Jesus, in his love and mercy, prayed for Peter, knowing that he would deny him. Look at Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you once have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He knew. And he's saying, this is going to happen. But I'm praying, and I pray for you that after it happened, that you would be strengthened. When we see Jesus' prayers, they come true. Right? I have time. I, I, I really, this is what I really wanted to... Look at, look at how bold Peter is. Look how bold Peter is at his, in his first sermon after, in Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. This is Peter speaking. The same Peter who denied him. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which, signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. He's boldly telling the people, the Jews, the, the very Jews that were probably in that gateway courtyard, he's telling them, you put him to death. But this Jesus that you put to death is here to save you. Look what Peter says in his next encounter with the Jews recorded in Acts. In Acts chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. This is after he heals a lame man. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. The one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact of which we are witnesses. This is the same Peter that denied Christ in that courtyard. He's calling them out. You, you chose Barabbas over Christ. He died for you. Repent. Peter continues to preach and is in prison for doing so. And then the Lord miraculously releases him at night and he goes and preaches again. And when confronted, look what Peter answers them. In 
Acts chapter 5, saying, we gave you strict orders, this is the, the, the Sanhedrin, the leaders, not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you have put to death by hanging him on a cross. This is not a simple gospel. This is not an easy gospel. He's calling how, he's preaching the true gospel and he's doing it with power, with boldness. And look at this. So then the, the Jewish Sanhedrin come together and say, what are we going to do with the situation? And then Gamaliel, he says, well, if he's from God, then it'll be. And if he's not, then it'll just go away. So then they said, they took Gamaliel's advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged him, meaning they whipped him, then, and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, this is Peter and the apostles, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from the house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Peter went from denying his Savior to rejoicing to be considered worthy to suffer for his name. Remember how I began today's lesson? How did I begin today's lesson? When I told you about Peter's death, right? His zeal for the Lord would never have him deny Christ again, and he would eventually be put to death by Nero. And I said, church history tells us that he was crucified upside down. We might not know. But we do know he died a martyr. Why? Because Jesus prophesied about it. He said the type of death he would suffer. In John 21, verses 18 through 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Peter after Jesus. He talks to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. After the third time, this is what God says, Jesus says to, to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger... You used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And he has spoken this, he said to him, follow me. This is why believers should watch Keep watch and guard themselves against all sins. And praise God for His grace that we fall. How do we apply this to our lives? Number one, don't, don't copy. Look, look at me. Don't stop. Don't write. You have plenty of time to write after this. Just listen. Pray that God gives you boldness and strength to never deny Him. Because that's only going to come from God. You will never have it in your strength not to deny Christ. Pray that He gives you the power that if that time ever came in your lifetime, that He can grant it to you. Number two, let's repent from thinking highly of ourselves. Thinking that we will never commit such a sin. Not only that, let's not judge those who did commit that sin, who are believers. We should be praying for them. Not writing right now. Right? We should be listening. We should be praying for them. We should not think of ourselves highly like, that will never happen to me. Let's not do that as believers in Christ. Number three, keep watch and be ready. What does that mean? Temptation's coming. It's always coming. Tribulation's coming. It's always coming. 
followers are coming. Oh, what do you need to do as a Christian? Be in Scripture. Be praying the most you can. So when the temptation does come, you have God's Word in your mind to be renewed. To fight sin and temptation. Four, praise God for His forgiveness and accept His forgiveness. Doesn't matter what you've done. He will forgive. Don't be like Peter and not believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, you are able and willing. You confess your sins before God. He is willing and able to do so. He forgives sin. Accept his forgiveness. Sometimes we've done things that we're not proud of. As Christians, we've done things that we're not proud of. Accept God's forgiveness. And God is good. And that which comes to my next, praise God for this because he uses even that for his good for his glory he uses even that for his glory and last pray that the lord give you boldness to preach his true gospel no matter the consequence i pray and i hope that the holy spirit convicts your heart and reveals what's in your heart to you so that you can repent from that and ask god to help you and give you the strength to live the christian life especially when it comes to pride and self-sufficiency that that's never going to happen to me let's not think like that because if it happened to Peter, one of the apostles, one of God's 12 chosen, it could definitely happen to any of us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your precious word. We give you thanks because you reprove us, reprove us, you correct us, and you train us in righteousness. Thank you because we have hope in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin in this particular way because you are with us. And you have, bought, you have bought us with a price. Help us glorify your name in everything that we do. Help us not look at ourselves highly, Father, but help us repent from self-sufficiency and pride, thinking that we will never sin in a certain way. Help us pray for those who have felt fallen in those sins, that they can be restored. Help us be brothers and sisters in Christ that love each other instead of judge each other, Lord. Father, thank you because you've given us this word, this precious word. And we love you with all our hearts. And we praise you, O oh God, for the forgiveness that you offer every day because your mercies are new each day. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. It is in your name we pray. Amen.